Hi, everybody, and thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen in on our Hilco Global Smarter Perspective podcast. Uh, as return listeners know, I'm your host, Steve Katz. And if this is your first time listening in, welcome. We're glad you could join. Today, we'll be talking about one of my personal favorite topics, wine. Unfortunately for me, however, this will not be a taste test, but it's kind of the next best thing because we'll get some insight on that beyond being generally interesting. We'll also uh, be providing some helpful information for lenders involved in either evaluating prospective borrowers or existing portfolio accounts that are involved in the California bulk wine industry. And with us for that discussion today is Sandy Mickus, Valuation Director at Hillco Valuation Services, uh, who has appraised numerous businesses in many areas of the wine industry, including traditional and estate wineries throughout California and Washington State, as well as e-commerce retailers, uh, purchasing and bottling both foreign and domestic wine. So Sandy, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Um, you know, I'm thinking to get us rolling, maybe you could provide a little bit of background on the bulk wine industry, uh, because I think, you know, there could be some misperception of that language, bulk wine, particularly among those uh, who are not yet directly involved in the market. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. It's pretty simple, actually. Um, sometimes, you know, we're concerned people think of boxed wine as bulk wine or as an inexpensive wine, but that's not the case. Bulk wine is actually wine that's in the process of aging, either in a barrel or a tank. It's wine that could be either fully aged or it's wine that it has just been processed, you know, the grape crush, now it's aging in a tank or a barrel, but it's considered bulk wine in that it's not packaged, finished wine ready to sell. So there's definitely, um, you know, if there's any misconceptions about what bulk wine is, you could think of it as is in-process wine that still needs to either age to be completed or it needs to be packaged in order to be sold. Now, that's not to say bulk wine isn't sold as bulk wine, but that would be, you know, between various wineries. It's very typical for winemakers to purchase bulk wine to supplement their existing supply if, you know, maybe they're short on one varietal or something like that. And in some cases, some winemakers don't want to purchase grapes and do a traditional winemaking. They simply want to buy bulk wine and blend it with other bulk wines to get, you know, whatever uh, type of wine that they're looking for. So that's in a nutshell, bulk wine. You could just think of it as work in process from a lender's perspective. Um, even though it could be sold as bulk wine, it's just not a finished good ready to sell to a consumer. Okay. That, yeah, I think that's pretty helpful clarification. And what are some of the key factors that have traditionally impacted uh, the bulk wine market over the years? For California bulk wine specifically, and I, I think it's important to make that distinction that we're only talking right now about bulk wine that's sourced from California. And the reason that's important is because the Appalachian or where the grapes are grown is one of the biggest factors in valuing bulk wine. And you'll see it throughout the industry. Um, and in California, there are different areas, regions um, in California where 
grapes in certain regions will be more valuable or are assumed to be more valuable than grapes grown in other regions. And that corresponds to the wine. So if you have wine that's made from grapes in Napa, for example, that's going to be your premium, higher quality than say something in, you know, Southern California or something like that. So the location where the grapes were sourced and grown is one of the biggest factors that is um, utilized when valuing bulk wine. And also, obviously, things like the vintage year, that would be the year that the grapes were harvested, and the varietal, which would be the type of grape, which often dictates the type of wine. Now, obviously, you can have a a red blend, for example, and there will be bulk wine blends where they'll take a little bit of, say, Cabernet and a little bit of Merlot and blend them together. So you do find things like that where maybe the varietal isn't as critical when you're doing a blend. However, most winemakers will want to buy a, you know, unblended wine, typically like just a sourced Cabernet or Merlot. They don't typically want to buy something that's already been blended. So if you were to see something like that in the marketplace, it's generally not going to have as high of a value if it's already been blended uh, because most winemakers wouldn't want that. So, um, and, you know, there's a lot of environmental factors that go into it. We've seen fires in Napa in 2020. They had a huge uh, fire there, which impacted the grapes, which, you know, even though some vineyards were destroyed and obviously those grapes were destroyed and some were just affected by the smoke, which they call smoke taint. So then those grapes, even though the grapes weren't destroyed, they weren't viable for wine because they have a smoke flavor that is not conducive to making wine. And so even though they had to harvest all those grapes, the wineries, if they couldn't use them um, or sell them, that was a big issue. So things like that obviously can happen that, you know, we look for, and that also impacts the bulk wine market because in those years, like in the year of 2020, bulk wine that was available for sale on the market already uh, got a premium price in some cases because people were desperate for wine because their crops were no good. And so they would have no wine for that vintage year. So, you know, environmental factors such as that definitely can make a difference. You know, same with, you know, rain years, there's some years are bumper crops and, you know, some years are the crop yields are very low. So things like that also impact the market as far as the pricing. When you have bumper crops and you have an abundance of wine, uh, you know, that obviously brings the prices down. So a lot of different factors um, are affecting the bulk wine market. Yeah, I it's it's um, interesting because last summer I was in Napa and you could still see a lot of that fire damage from a few years prior, you know, both in terms of the vines themselves, but also just in, in the region and just how severe some of that was. So I can imagine um, that that smoky, burnt, ashy, you know, sort of medicinal uh, taint that's on that's on that year it would not be great. Okay, so as we sit here approaching the midpoint of of 2023, what would you say is the overall state of the bulk wine industry? How would how would you characterize it right now? I mean, from I would characterize it as I, I think the industry is thriving. I think even though there's a lot of variation in wine, and you'll see a lot of analysis if you follow market publications and things like that. Some will tell you 
that the volume of wine being sold is going down, which is true as far as just overall wine being sold, even though, you know, prices are up. So it looks like the industry is growing, even though, you know, maybe it's not growing at the rate they would want, but I still think the industry is thriving and that it's, you know, very active. There's a high demand, you know, for wine. If you look at the wine that's available in California and the different regions of California, like bulk wine on the market for sale, you know, Napa, for example, there's very little Napa Cabernet available uh, for sale, which, which tells me that, you know, there's a pretty good demand for it because if there wasn't, obviously there'd be a lot more available. So things like that, I think are interesting to watch because we see fluctuations in, in the market for bulk wine. And, you know, when you get into other regions of California where they have bulk wine available, you might see a little bit more available and those prices are much lower than, you know, a Napa quality um, bulk wine. So it's interesting because obviously when there's no Napa wine available, people are going to go to other regions. Sonoma would be the next best choice and, uh, you know, and they would go from there. So it's interesting to follow that because it definitely plays a big part in the industry as far as California bulk wine, because it's dictating the pricing. And so when there's none of the higher priced or premium quality, what's presumed to be premium quality coming out of Napa, then sales move to the other regions. And, you know, those don't have the same price point that the Napa wines can demand. So it sometimes makes the market look like it's shifting negatively as far as pricing, but that's really regional. It's not an indication of what the Napa wines could get. Um, There's just not a lot of it available. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things like that definitely um, have a an impact on what's happening in the industry. But there's definitely supply out there. Um, and, you know, we see there's a lot of activity based on the market publications that we see. So I think that the um, the wines are doing well. Some of the, the lower end um, bulk wine, we see people discounting that. And often it's not purchased, which tells me that there may be a little oversupply in the lower end yeah. market. And so, you know, it's things that we watch and um, I, I follow it pretty closely. There's some quarterly publications that we watch from Turntine Brokerage that they put out the market pricing and, um, you know, we find that information to be very helpful and we do monitor it pretty closely. And uh, we see it also on the uh, appraisal side, it translates very closely. So it's interesting to see that what they're saying is happening is actually happening when you're speaking with people at the wineries. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's interesting also because we have uh, a lot of lenders who like to listen in on these podcasts and we hear from them. Um, So, you know, for those lenders who may already be involved in the industry or those who are getting involved or looking at opportunities in the bulk wine market. Uh, do you have some valuation focused diligence thoughts or recommendations uh, that generally you would um, consider uh, specific to the industry that you'd like to share? Sure. So as far as bulk wine specifically, I think there are some 
a few really important things for a lender or prospective lender to understand. One, and I would say this is probably the most important, is the seasonality aspect of bulk wine because all of the grapes are going to be harvested in the fall. It's late summer into the fall is when the harvest of the grapes is done. So then the wineries are doing their crush and their fermentation, and then they're getting the wine into a tank or a barrel to age, usually by the end of December at the latest, usually like November, December is that time frame. So what's going to happen is they're going to see a huge increase in bulk wine from every winery if they're you know lending to a winery at that time of year. But I think it's important for them to understand that even though there's a huge increase of bulk wine at that time, that is brand new wine that's really not super marketable at that point. I mean, it's probably marketable to some degree, but certainly not as marketable as it would be six to nine to 18 months from then. So, you know, when you have a bulk wine, for example, red wines on a higher end red wine, it will often age. Most wineries will age those for 18 months in barrel. So if you have bulk wine that's been in the barrel for two months versus bulk wine that's been in the barrel for 18 months, you know, that's, that's a big difference. And so I think it's important for lenders to understand that once that harvest is done and the bulk wine is now bulk wine, technically, that doesn't mean it's going to have the same value as the bulk wine that's been aging for a year already. And so that's one factor that we, you know, look at in depth. Obviously, the market pricing of the California bulk wine. And again, I think it's important to, to distinguish California here because there is a specific market pricing that's done by Turrentine brokerage that's only for the state of California. So wine or grapes, wine from grapes grown in, say, Washington or Texas or any other place in the United States or anywhere else in the world is not going to be covered under that market pricing. Now, there are other publications for worldwide market pricing, you know, such as wine coming out of France or Spain or um, New Zealand or wherever, um, which is uh, Ciotti is another publication for worldwide. But what we're specifically talking about here is um, California. So I think it's important for people to understand that if they have a winery that they're looking at in, say, the state of Washington, where there are many wineries, that is not going to be representative. You can't use the same market pricing for Washington as you can for California. So I think that's a one important factor for lenders to know if they're following that market pricing. And, you know, like obviously the aging, I, I sort of touched on that, but that's definitely a factor of how long white wines do not age as long as reds, generally speaking. And so, you know, the aging process of a white wine, for example, Chardonnay or a Sauvignon Blanc would be generally up to 12 months. Generally, it wouldn't be longer than that. Often it's more six to nine months, just depending. So I think it's important for lenders to understand what they should expect as far as aging and converting bulk wine into finished wine and how long that process might take. Costing methodology is another thing that is important because wineries who are just buying bulk wine on the open market 
you know, they're just paying a price for that bulk wine and then they're going to blend it and bottle it. And, and that's very straightforward versus uh, estate wineries who are growing all their own grapes. They're doing their own crush. They're doing their own aging and then doing their own bottling. They often will include all of the costs for the vineyard and growing and harvesting the grapes will be included in the price of the bulk wine, which, you know, makes sense. You you have to do all that work, but it's sometimes, you know, if they're not efficient or the crop yield is very low, that will drive up the price or the cost of their bulk wine versus a bumper year where they have an abundance of bulk wine. Then that harvest cost and that, you know, farming cost is spread over much more bulk wine. So that drives the price down. So I guess it's important for lenders to understand that cost that the company is showing of the bulk wine is not always indicative of what the value will be. Because if the winery isn't good at controlling their costs or their costs are excessive, their overhead is excessive, that's going to be represented in the bulk wine. But that does not mean that you would be able to to recover that. And in many cases, we've seen wineries who have a very low crop yield have to sell their wine at a loss because they cannot raise their price of the bottled wine in the end to cover all of the costs when the yields are very low. Yeah. I'm, so, sure, that, I'm sure that's not a happy day. When that yeah. Happens. So it's things like this um, that are important. Um, and, you know, there are others, obviously, but I would say those are the main points to understand. Yeah. Well, there's a lot there and uh, it's obviously a very nuanced uh industry and, uh, you know, and, and specifically bulk wine within the overall uh, offerings uh, within the wine industry is specific. I know you, I know we're going to have you back on soon to talk about case wine, I think. So we'll look forward to that discussion and um, really appreciate it. Very informative. Thanks so much for sharing your, your thoughts uh, today, Sandy. If, if listeners have uh, follow-up questions, want to discuss um, clients or maybe some efforts they're involved with, how should they get in touch with you? Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm happy to be here today. And uh, listeners can feel free to reach out to me. My email is smickus at hilcoglobal.com. So that would be S-M-I-C-K-A-S at hilcoglobal.com. Uh, or my phone number is 626-622-3237. Or they can feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. Okay. Sounds good. Well, uh, thanks again. And listeners, as always, we hope that this Smarter Perspective podcast provided you with at least one key takeaway that you can put to good use in your business or share with a colleague or client to help make them that much more successful moving forward. And remember that you can check out more great podcasts and articles featuring timely insights from Hilco experts like Sandy at hilcoglobal.com forward slash smarter dash perspectives. And as I said, Sandy, will be back on soon to talk about cased wine. Uh, So until then, for Hilco Global, I'm Steve Katz.